Shoot, I forgot my eye patch. Uh, <laughs> Adam a sling, but don't have my eye patch. Uh, some of you that are new here, you have no idea what that means. And you think I'm blind in one eye, and we'll just let you con- continue to think that. That's okay. Uh, we're in a series called Inside Out, and Scripture's interesting in that it says that God looks inwardly at us. He looks at the heart, it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, not the outward appearance, but the heart. And once we return to our God in trust, and we're reconciled to Him, and we become followers of Christ, our Creator, God starts to see us in ways that we hardly would expect ourselves to be potential for. He sees already inside what He's given the spiritual DNA for us to be, and He wants us to see it so that we can start cooperating with Him and and become that very thing. So each week we've kind of looked at little glimpses of this. We've been in one book uh, of the New Testament, the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're ultimately going to go back there in a second today. But I want to start us out in a way that uh, each week now in this series I've tried to start us, and so it'll be on the screens here. The big question, why are you here today? Now there could be multiple reasons for this. And they're all okay because of all the places that you could have ended up. This is probably as good as any. But if you and I want to derive the maximum benefit, if we're really serious, the maximum benefit from being in a place like this, the time that we're here, then we have to answer these following questions in the correct way. Are you here seeking to hear from God. If you and I are here for any other reason, we might get a little something out of the time being here, but we won't get the maximum. Unless you are really sincere that you are here, your primary purpose, I want to hear from God. God is pleased to communicate in places like this where his word is honored, where his people gather with sincere hearts. Are you here saying, I don't really care what else is going on today, I just want to hear from God? Second part is critical. Are you eager and open? This is important. Are you eager and open to whatever the Lord wants you to consider today? You may have come in here with something on your mind, something on your heart, something going on in your life. Always that's the case for all of us. We're very subjective. But what I know is this, unless you and myself, unless we come absolutely open, God can talk to me, to you about anything he wants. Maybe you think, that doesn't even apply to me. That's for that person over there. No, 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 no. Unless we come open, we're not going to derive the maximum benefit. I want you every Sunday of your life that you're in places like this to derive the maximum benefit. This little attitudinal adjustment formula will enable you and I to always do that. All right, now I want to take us toward today's message, and I'm going to do the same thing. I want to ask a couple questions. If someone says to you that there's a person that has the power and favor of God on their life, what picture comes to mind? I mean, if you were to have the power of God on your life, in your life, and the favor of God in your life, What picture comes to mind? What what do you think that would look like? What would that person's life be like? What would they feel like? What would their circumstances be like? Let me read you something that uh, some prominent spiritual people, uh, I won't give their names. I don't, uh, I'm not not saying just because they're prominent, they're to be trusted. But let me give you their description of what it's like to have the power and the favor of God in your life. 
we should expect God's favor in our life to cause us to excel in everything. That is the power of his blessing working in my life. I should expect to prosper. I should expect favor with my boss. I should expect promotions, raises, bonuses, benefits. He came to give me life and give me life more abundantly, John 10.10. Now, because you are highly favored by God, you can expect to have favor with your spouse, your children, your colleagues, your clients, and yes, even your in-laws. When you speak, people listen. When you step into a room, it lights up. Everything you touch is blessed and increased. Beloved, as the apple of God's eye, expect good things to happen to you each day. Expect divine protection because his favor surrounds you like a shield. Expect every need to be met by the one who highly favors you. Expect good because you are precious in his eyes. Think about that. God wants to give you special privileges. His favor will cause people to go out of their way to bless you without even knowing why they're doing it. Things just fall into place. Obstacles disappear. People will go out of their way to be good to you. Many times, as I said, they don't even know why they're doing it. The favor and the power of God. Others would add to this, the power of God would be indicative, would be, be, be proven as, um, actually by showing miraculous signs and wonders and powers in your life. So, what is your picture of having the power of God and the favor of God in your life? And, and then let's just ask this last question. Would you want to be that person? Would you, as you sit here today... Are you able to say to God, I want to be someone that has your favor and your power in my life. I want that, God. I want to be that person. Whatever it turns out to mean to have your favor and to have your power, I want to be that person. Because here's the thing. You can be. Let me go further. Some of you, maybe a lot of you, actually are. You already have God's favor and you already have God's power, but you don't know it. You don't realize it. You don't feel it. So let's go ahead now and turn to that text that we've been looking at each week, the book of Second Corinthians in the New Testament. And we're going to kind of pick up where we left off. We were in chapter three last week. We're going to be in chapter four. And the image today that God looks inside us and he sees, he, he sees us, it's kind of an interesting uh, illustration he gives. He says he sees us as jars of clay or earthen vessels, dirt wads that have been formed. Remember, Adam was made from the dirt. And yet we carry a treasure. So when God looks at those that are Christ followers, if you've put your trust in Christ and you have become his follower, not only are all your sins forgiven, not only is immortality given to you, not only is the spirit of God indwelling you, wanting to work in you, shape you, restore you to the image of God each and every day of your life and each and every situation of your life, not only is all that true, but God looks at you as an earthen vessel that carries this extraordinary treasure inside. 
Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if I'm going to ask in here today, how many of you feel extravagantly rich? You carry an extraordinary treasure. You have so much to offer. It would be interesting to see which hands go up. I'm not a prophet, but I'll predict this. Not many of your hands will go up. I don't think many of us feel that way, but, but we're going to see a portion of Scripture where God says that he looks at his people, his ordinary people, hence the jars of clay, in that very way. And just maybe if we can get a glimpse of this, if just maybe if we can start to believe it, maybe we'll start to offer this treasure more readily to others. Okay, let's go to that page 13, I think it's 1302. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you might recall from last week, he, he was, Paul was talking about that he was a competent servant, a competent minister. We are competent ministers because we have this, this superlative story. It's the story of stories. It's the truth about God. It's the truth about life. It tells us who we are, why we're here, how we should live, how to be forgiven, how to be restored to the image of God. It tells us why the world is as it is. It tells us tells us what's going to happen in the world. It tells us God's kingdom will come. His will will be done on this earth. It's the story of stories. It tells us about life. It tells us about death. It tells us about life after death. It leaves no secrets unturned. It answers the longings and the desires, the deepest longings and deepest desires of every human being that there ever has been. It's the story of stories. And yet, you know and I know, this story that centers in Christ, that was fulfilled in Christ, God revealed himself completely in Christ, particularly when Christ was on the cross. We see the almighty creator showing his sacrificial devotion for we, his creatures. And so he proved his trustworthiness. And yet this story, you know and I know, not everybody, not everybody thinks it's that important. Let's start reading chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, who at this point in his life had been serving Jesus for 21 years, he'll serve him a total of about 32. He had started this church in Corinth about four to five years earlier, and he's writing back to them now. He say, says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, just as God has shown us mercy, we do not become discouraged, but we have rejected shameful hidden deeds, not behaving with deceptiveness or distorting the word of God, but by open proclamation of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience before God. But even if our gospel, that word gospel, that's the good news, that's the big story, all that God has done and all that he's finalized in Christ, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. That's not good. Why are they perishing? Why are they headed for destruction? Why? Among whom the God, notice that, small g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe or trust so that they would not see the light of the glorious gospel. That's that big story, the story of Christ, who is the very image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as slaves for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness is the one who shined in our hearts to give us the light of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Christ. 
Paul says this, this is the stunning story that the creator, the almighty one, is gentle, is kind, is merciful, is compassionate, is forgiving, is sacrificial. We've seen him. He lived on this planet for 33 years. He went to a cross willingly to pull out all the stops to show that we have nothing to fear, that we should desire him and closeness to him above all. And yet Paul says there are some people in verse 4 that they don't care. They hear this story, this story that, that when it's allowed to enter a human heart, it absolutely transforms a person in spectacular ways. Lifelong dynamic, this story releases in a person. But Paul says, the truth is, some people, they hear it, and they don't see any value in it. And he explains why. He says, the, the God, small g, the God, he's talking about Satan. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says that Satan rules over this planet. All the religion, all the philosophies, all the ideologies, he rules over these. He's the, the creator of these. And he keeps everyone out of step with the real creator, out of step with the truth about God and the truth about life. And Paul says some people, he so gets a hold of their minds, their hearts, their value systems, their beliefs, their perspective, that they frankly don't care they don't care that there could be more to life. When they hear the truth that God has this eternal plan and it's all been revealed in Christ, they don't care. They have become so contented with this world as it is. You know people like that. They're nice people sometimes. They're not bad people. They're just contented with things as they are. All things considered, they're okay with just living driven by the goal of self-preservation and self-gratification. You know, I want to live as long as I can, and I want to have as much happiness as I can. That is the driving force in the hearts and minds of most people that are alive today. And you know people, nice people, good people, intelligent people, highly educated people, successful, wealthy people maybe, and they're just fine with things as it is. Yeah, man, so we, we live for a few uncertain years, and life's got its ups and downs. But so what? I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. I, I mean, you know, people hate each other. People are prejudiced. People are vicious. People betray and abandon. They, they murder, and they commit war, you know, launch wars against one another. But, but, it, but, but it's okay. I mean, you got to accept a little of that. That's just the way it is. And I'm okay with that. You know people like that. But if you were to say to them, <laughs> if you were to say to them, but that passage says, the reason, if you were to say to that person, the reason that you feel the way you do, the reason that you think the way you do is because there's this entity called Lucifer, Satan, the devil, who's invisible to you, but very real, who doesn't have this pitchfork, you know, and a, and a pokey tail, but he's a brilliant being of light who has created all kinds of value systems and pursuits and fads and trends and created appetites and desires and addictions and philosophies. And, and you have fallen prey. You love the world that he's created. The truth of the matter is there are some people that love this world just like it is. And they're willing to accept, I'm only going to live so many years but that's good enough for me. And, and this Jesus stuff you're talking about, this eternal life, this, this, this idea that has to, there has to be meaning in everything, that there's purpose, and Jesus is coming again, and he's going to restore the world. And I, I don't need that. I don't believe that. I don't buy that. You and I meet them all the time. And this guy who saw the resurrected Jesus, he says the reason they feel so content, sometimes confident, maybe even smug, 
they say to say to us sometimes, hey, you know, if, if you need Jesus, that's okay. I don't, I don't begrudge you that. If you need religion, it's, it's all right. I just don't need that. This passage says the reason that the good news, the incredible story, the best story, doesn't appeal to them is because they are destroyed inside. And they don't even know it. They don't even know it. They've bought the lie, hook, line, and sinker. Now, we don't know this because you and I know that sometimes it looks as if a person is completely closed off to Christ and to this incredible transforming story, and then something occurs in their life, they start to see how frail and finite they really are, and all of a sudden something awakens in them, and they, they become humble, and humility is sanity. It is seeing myself as I really am, a very weak, independent creature. And sometimes these people are open, but a lot of them will not. And maybe you're like me. Maybe sometimes you've thought to yourself, why is it that more people... Why is it that more people don't turn to Christ? I don't understand. Why would not everyone want to turn to this God, this creator who's so kind, so good, so trustworthy, whose ways are clearly superior? His righteousness is intrinsically desirable for, for its own sake. Why, why wouldn't everyone turn to him? And here's the answer to that. So some people, even though the treasure, this, this incredible story, the truth about God and life is offered, they just don't care. They don't see anything that's desirable for them in it. Now, in verse 7, we turn a bit of a corner and we get into our image today. So let's go back to Scripture. So he's dealt with those that, that don't respond to this message, this gospel message. Then in verse 7, he says this. But we have this, what is the word? Treasure in clay jars so that the extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us so let's pause there for a minute and Paul's saying you know we carry this story he's talked about the power of the story earlier if you look at just glance fact actually you're across the page look at chapter 3 verse 18 and it shows what this story once we trust Christ can do for us it says and we all with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord are being, what is the word? Transformed into the same image. In other words, we're being transformed to be just like Christ from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord. You have to understand what this, this passage is saying. It's saying that when a person puts their trust in Christ, when they take in the story, God's great story, it starts to change them. It transforms them. You say, how much does it transform them? It continuously makes them to become more like Christ. A selfish person becomes unselfish. A greedy person becomes generous. Uh, a hard-hearted person becomes tender and kind and compassionate. A person with no capacity to, to love all of a sudden has a new capacity to love. I could go on. This is a powerful, powerful story. God calls it a treasure. And he says that every ordinary Christian carries a boat, but we're just like jars Jars of clay on the outside. We're not all that impressive, he's saying to the eyes of some. But inside, we have something that's more worth than anything else. Now, he adds some things to this in the next verses. So let's say, let's, let's back up. He says, we have this treasure in clay jars so that the extraordinary power belongs to God. It does not come from us. It's the story that has the power. It's God's story. Verse 8. We, though, jars of clay... We are experiencing, what is the world word? Trouble on every side, but are not crushed, 
We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are knocked down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our body. We'll revisit these verses, but let's pause for a minute. So, these verses are indicating that we carry this treasure, but our circumstances may not be indicative that we ourselves are that important. He said, we're troubled all around on every side. How many of you experienced some trouble this week? Can I see your hands? Yeah, me too. Sticking well gone, man. I got to get new new well pump and all that stuff. Yeah, it, it, there's all, all these little irritants in life. Trouble's always coming. Perplexed, he uses the word perplexed. This is the Apostle Paul. This is a man who, who saw Christ with his own eyes, the resurrected Christ. This is the man that God chose to write 13 books of the New Testament. God's power was in Paul. God's favor was in Paul. And yet Paul said, I'm troubled on every side. I'm just troubled all around. And then Paul went further. He says, I'm perplexed. Do you know what perplexity means? He's saying, I don't get it. I do not get it. This makes no sense to me. He says, not only that, I'm persecuted. And you've been persecuted. Maybe you've got a family member. Maybe you've got a work associate. Maybe you've got a boss. Maybe you have somebody that they find out that you're a Christ follower, and they go after you. They don't feel the same about you anymore. They reject you. Maybe they try to hurt you vocationally. Maybe they try to hurt you relationally. You're persecuted. If you and I live in an Islamic land, it gets worse. They persecute us physically, maybe even unto death, just because we're Christians. Paul says that was happening to him. By the way, if you're curious of what Paul's 21 years of serving Jesus were like, you skip ahead sometime on your own and read chapter 11 of this same book of 2 Corinthians. And he, he gives a little list of his first 21 years of serving Jesus, what he experienced. So Paul says, we're experiencing these things. Let, let me go on because he, he, he talks about them, but then he always has a comeback. We're experiencing trouble on every side but are not crushed, somehow survives. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. He says, we are persecuted, but not abandoned. The persecution, he never felt that God had abandoned him. He never questioned God's love or faithfulness. We are knocked down, but not destroyed. So, do you remember that description I read from some of those prominent spiritual leaders earlier? about the favor of God, about how everything falls your way. And yeah, in fact, let, let, me, let me just refresh your mind. When the favor of God is there, uh, I should expect to prosper. I should expect favor with my boss. I should expect promotions, raises, bonuses, and benefits. Um, because I have the favor of God, I should expect favor with my spouse, my children, my colleagues, my clients, and yes, even my in-laws. Can I just see the hands of anybody that does not have favor with one of those groupings that I just mentioned? Maybe you don't have favor today with one of them. Can I just see your hand? I don't have favor today with some of those. So does that mean I don't have the favor of God? Does that mean the power of God is not existing in me? I mean, Paul was saying... He didn't have any of that stuff. Are these new spiritual leaders that fill the TV screens and sometimes radio waves, are, are they something superior to 
Paul? I don't think so. Maybe we're not looking at what it means to have the favor and the blessing of God. We carry God's treasure humbly. He means it to be so. It's more powerful. Most people that we will ever rub shoulders with are just like us in more ways than we can ever believe. They're struggling. I don't care how how sweet and smooth their life looks. I don't care how successful they are. One of the blessings, if you call it that, or cursing, of doing what I've done for all the years that I've done it is you get to get close to all kinds of people, all kinds. And you get to see what's behind the curtains sometimes. And what you see is that we're all struggling. Nobody really has a sweet ride. And so do you really think that if God put us in this little capsule like these false teachers, and I'll call it what it is now and say, I mean, supposing that, you know, once you became a Christian, everything was perfect. You never got sick. You never had an accident. Your plumbing never went bad. Your car never broke down. You don't even have to pump gas. Gas just keeps filling your tank. <laughs> you don't have to get a job. Money just fills your bank account. You don't know where it comes from. You just name it and claim it. You pray for it. It's there. Suppose God did that. He has the power to do that, right? Some, some, some say, well, well, isn't he my father? And doesn't he have all power and all might? I would take care of my kids better than he takes care of his. <laughs> really? What if he cared more about our character for now than our comfort? Because he knows he's going to comfort us for eternity, but he knows that it's critical that he develop our character now so that we can be entrusted with things in the eternal time that we can hardly fathom. But you've got to have the character to handle power. Power given to a fool brings destruction. Listen to this, these words from the book of Isaiah. Even in the Old Testament, God revealed these secrets about his favor and his power that it dwells in places we hardly expect. In Isaiah 57, 15, we read, For this is what the high and exalted one says, the one who rules forever, whose name is holy. I dwell in an exalted and holy place, but also with the who? Discouraged. And who? Humiliated. In order to cheer up the humiliated and to encourage the discouraged. Hold that on the screen for just a minute. Here's God saying, I, I dwell in this exalted dimension, but I also dwell, I'm present, and where God's present, so is his favor, so is his power. He says, here's the ones I'm at home in, here's the ones I'm comfortable in, the ones that are discouraged. How many of you have been discouraged in the past month? Can I see your hand? Did you feel like God was with you and his favor was on you when you were discouraged? Maybe, maybe not, if we're honest. Let me go a step further. How many of you have been humiliated in the past month? I have. Did you feel like God was favoring you and his power was filling you when you were humiliated? You've really been humiliated? But that's what that says. We need to have our minds shifted around. Jesus did not come into this world of his own creating in blazing power and glory. Remember when he was transfigured, he turned into blinding light. The, the apostles that were there, Peter, James, and John, were scared to death. And, and they, you know, they didn't want to see it anymore. No, no, no. 
He came as a human. He came fragile. He went to the cross showing that his power is always controlled by sacrificial love. That's why we can trust him. That's why we're safe with him. That's why we desperately need him. God's power and favor are better in jars of clay that live humbly because most people are struggling and they can identify with us and they see, yeah, we're perplexed too, but we have some kind of resilience that we go on. Yeah, we get persecuted. We, we get things we don't deserve, but somehow we're not abandoned. We are troubled on every side, but but somehow we we go on and, and, and that that can appeal to them. That can help them to see that, that there's something. There's something going on different. It's the presence of God and the favor and power of God. Now, there's a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, and he wrote a book uh, called David and Goliath. But don't think you're going to read it, and it's going to be a story about David and Goliath. He, he, he's emphasizing something else, and I'll put this on the screen. He's emphasizing that many successful leaders and entrepreneurs were very handicapped in various ways. And, and he, his, his theory is this, they succeed not in spite of the challenges and suffering in their life, but because of them. He calls this phenomenon the advantage of disadvantage. Could it be possible that God wants us to be humble carriers of his treasure because it's an advantage that we stay dependent on God, we stay humble, we stay approachable, we stay gentle. So, Maybe there's something to this thing of just being carriers of God's treasure that never have a sense that we're that important, that powerful, that prominent. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 10, we have this simple uh, exhortation. It just says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will honor you. That doesn't mean we're necessarily going to feel it. He was honoring this guy, the apostle Paul. But Paul was actually being kind of challenged by the Corinthian church as to whether they should follow him. Even though he planted a church, if you read the book, you see that others had come into the church and they were starting to steal some of the attention that, that rightfully belonged to Paul. And Paul had to kind of humiliate himself to try to persuade the Corinthians that it was he that they should be trusting and following as opposed to these false teachers. There's a study done by a guy named Tomas Camoro from Music He's a CEO and a professor, but in the Harvard Business Review, Harvard Business Review, he talks about successful people and their traits. And he says, there's no bigger cliche in business psychology than the idea that the high self that high self-confidence is key to career success. It is time to debunk this myth. In fact, low self-confidence is more likely to make you successful. Own up to it. How many of you, you have to say, on a scale of high self-confidence, low self-confidence, you're more prone to low self-confidence? Can I see your hands? Yeah. And it's not bad they're discovering. He goes on. Lower self-confidence, it makes you pay attention to negative feedback and be self-critical. That's a good thing. It can motivate you to work harder and prepare more. That's a good thing. It reduces the chances of coming across as arrogant or being deluded. That's a good thing. Humble carriers of this treasure. It's God's plan. It's his purpose all along. So not only does God want us to carry this treasure humbly, but he wants us to manifest his treasure convincingly. It's, it's when things are not going as smoothly as we would like 
that we show what our real core convictions, we show that something is, is strengthening us inwardly that's not visible on the outside. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians and we'll pick up a few verses there. He talked about in verse 9, we're persecuted but not abandoned, we're knocked down but not destroyed. Then he says, always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus, that dying to ourself so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our body. For we who are alive are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in, more, in our mortal body. As a result, death is at work at us, but life in you. He's saying it's, it's when we're in these uncomfortable situations and we stay faithful to God that the life of Jesus gets exhibited in a way that it can't be exhibited when things are going easier and smoother. He goes on to say this in the same passage, verse 13, he says, but we have the same spirit of faith as that shown in what has been written. I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. We do so because we know, we know, he's confident, he's positive, that the one who raised up Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will bring us with him or bring, bring us with you into his presence. He says, for all these things are for your sake, so that the grace that is including more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not despair, but even if our physical body is wearing away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Because we are not looking at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen for what can be seen is temporary but what cannot be seen is eternal so Paul says the same kind of thing a little differently in the book of Philippians it says in chapter 1 verse 20 he says I expect and I hope that I will not fail Christ in anything but that I will have the courage now as always to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth whether I live or whether I die in 2 Corinthians, he says he's confident that just as Jesus was risen from the dead, he's going to be risen from the dead. He was confident not in the world that he could see, but he was more confident in the world that he could not see. He had an eternal perspective on life. He had convictions. When people have convictions, we are strong at our core. We hear a lot today in the exercise world, but you got to have a strong core. You know, everybody, oh, you got to work your abs. You got to have a strong core to do other exercise. Well, they are finding that in every realm in life, a strong core is critical. There's a guy named uh, Tom Irwin, I believe is his name, or Tim Irwin, uh, and he wrote a book about great leadership. And in the book, he talks about this core strength. When our core is intact and congru congruent, others experience us as authentic, humble, and trustworthy. When our core is compromised or conflicted, others experience us as arrogant, self-serving, and insecure. No matter how artful their style or confident their actions, every failed leader I've studied had a malfunctioning core. It had broken down in some significant way. Now, at our core are our core convictions, what we believe to the point that we're going to live in light of it and die if necessary because of it. And that's what Paul was saying. 
this guy really believed in eternity. He really believed he had immortality. He really had seen Jesus. He knew there was this other dimension, and he was living in light of it. He was not trying to get it all now while he can because he knew that's impossible for anyone and that there really is something else. He had core convictions, and this changed the way that he carried the treasure that God had given him. And he came to realize, you're going to hear in another message in this series a little weeks away, that he actually came to the conclusion he was better off, better off when he was weak, because then the strength and the power of God could be more operative through him. So we started out with this picture of what does the, the favor and the power and the blessing of God look like? Would you like to hear a verse from God's own mouth that describes what the power in favor of God look like in life? I'm going to read your verse from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 11. He's writing to Christ followers, those that have God's favor on their life. And he's, and he's telling them about his power that's going to be given to them. Paul, in fact, is the one he's, he's praying for these individuals. And this is what it looks like to have the favor and power of God operative in your life. Here's the verse. Strengthen them. Paul's praying for them. Strengthen them with your, what kind of power? Infinite power. God's infinite power. What's going to happen when God strengthens you and I with his infinite power? Strengthen them with your infinite power according to your glorious might. It's all of God's might that's going to be strengthening us. So what's going to happen? Why, why should we want to be strengthened this way? So that. Whenever you see so that, pause for a minute and prepare to see what's going to come next. So we're going to be strengthened with this infinite power, this almighty power, so that they, Christ followers, will have everything they need. If you stop there, doesn't that sound good? You're going to have everything you need. That sounds like those false teachers that I was reading you at the beginning. So that they will have everything they need. Uh, oh, wait a minute. It goes on. Shoot. Um, everything they need to hold on. That doesn't sound as good. And what is that next word? Ooh, endure hardship. How? How many be honest, man? When you're in hardship, you're not that patient. So, when God's favor is on me and his power is released in me, I'm going to have everything I need to hold on and endure hardship patiently. And oh my goodness, what's the last word? joyfully well that doesn't sound very exciting I, I like what these other guys are saying you have favor with your boss your in-laws your outlaws your, you know everything bounces in your way you know there's no obstacles they all disappear you have everything you need you prosper you get the raise you get the benefit uh, unfortunately that's not the way God wants humble vessels who manifest devotion to him and to righteousness for its own intrinsic sake who share this story who tell people the truth about God and the truth about life because we live in a world where nobody's telling people the truth about God or life and that's the treasure folks you have it I have it we can all do something to help people at least hear the message to learn the truth about God and life but God says it's better my power is expressed express better it's manifested better through people that appear to be just ordinary, just ordinary people. 
who don't have special protection benefits and so forth. The truth of the matter is, you are rather indestructible. You are indestructible if you're a Christian until you finish your mission. The only thing is, I don't know when my mission's up. Do you? Nobody's told me. God's never sat on my shoulder and said, hey, man, mission's up. Therefore, like Paul, we go through things, and Paul even acknowledged in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, man, I thought this was death. I thought this was the end. It was so bad, I thought I was going to die and not live. But God gave him strength to go on. It's this, this incredible resilience, this beautiful resilience that God gives to us. And we may not deal with it patiently or joyfully the first time, but the good news is we'll get another chance at it. And we tend to get a little bit better. Christian joy, if I had time. Let, let, let me try to unpack that for you because we have a lot of misunderstanding of Christian joy. Listen, Christian joy, it doesn't mean that I'm going around with some bizarro smile plastered on my face when everything is going wrong in my life. Okay? Or, or it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that I always feel happy and bubbly. Okay? Paul was lonely. He was heartbroken at times. He was frustrated. He was under pressure. Uh, he was saddened at times. I mean, all those things can coexist with joy. Joy is this sense that I know God is at work. Everything has meaning. His will will come to pass on this earth. He will return. He will restore things. I know that he's at work in me. I know that he'll never leave me and never forsake me. Joy is the result of my life being more and more aligned to the way God's designed me, and I find out what that is through his word. And I have this sense of well-being in the midst of the not-so-comfortable circumstances at times. And gradually, gradually that, that stabilizes me. Instead of the thing taking me down for the count, it takes me down, but I get back up. How many of you know that syndrome? You get down, you get to your wits end, you get perplexed, like Paul said. But somehow, you come back. You stay faithful to God. You may tumble. You may tumble down, but you get back and you become faithful. I'm, I'm serious. How many of you know that experience? Can I see your hands? See, that, that's indicative that the power and the favor of God are in you. You're a, you're a clay vessel with a treasure inside. You just don't know it most of the time. Because it doesn't feel that way. We don't feel very important. We don't always feel at ease. We don't always feel secure and safe and significant and satisfied in this life. But we're certain. We're certain that it will come in its fullness. And so I hope that you'll reconsider what it means to be bearers of this treasure. The treasure is the story about Christ. You have it if you're a Christian. And God wants it, wants it to be in everyday people's lives. I want to close with a story that I think exhibits this really, really well. It's about a guy named David Kuo, and it's told by his wife, Kim. And it's a story that I, I'm not going to dare to tell. I, I just want to read it the way she herself wrote it in Christianity Today uh, back in September 15th of 2015. She said, my husband... David Kuo, former deputy director of the White House Office of Faith-Based Community Initiatives, he fought cancer with dignity and courage, and he endured 10 years of chemotherapy. Chemotherapy, radiation, 
alternative therapies, and clinical trials. Ten years of this, yet he never stopped fighting. To survive, we had to immerse ourselves in Scripture to reassure our hearts that God had a plan in the midst of our suffering. We, we never stopped believing that God could heal David, and if not, that God would use him fully for as many days as he had. Three separate times, starting in 2003, David was given anywhere from 6 to 12 months to live. But we soon learned that people, even doctors, are ill-equipped to play God in determining the end of life. After the doctor's diagnosis and timeline, David went on to live 10 years. During that time, we had two beautiful children. While David wrote a book, struggled, fought, and touched many lives. No one below the throne of God can predict how the journey of life will go, and we shouldn't pretend to. David had severe seizures. Over time, he lost the ability to walk and then to write. His personality changed markedly due to the vicious side effects of surgeries, radiation, and medications. And the end was brutal. Every function of his body slowly collapsed. Still, every day of David's life mattered. Even in semi-lucid deterioration, David challenged his ICU doctor to read Mere Christianity. His conversations with his neuro-oncologist resulted in her later starting a ministry to homeless cancer patients. David's last days healed divides between political enemies and deep wounds among friends and family. Especially in suffering, we can dive below the shallow waters and touch another's heart and soul. And then this final statement. We had many moments when we thought we couldn't take any more. But the hard truth is that our experience transformed our hearts and radically challenged many others. If our lives are truly about glorifying God, then our only option is to glorify Him where we are. God puts the treasure in fragile, fallible, finite earthen vessels, clay jars. But it is a treasure, and you do possess it, Christian. And if you share it in all your brokenness, it's okay. The treasure will still get out. It'll even get out better, God says, because of our brokenness. So, two simple questions. What did God want you to know today? And because of what God wanted you to know today, what might he really truly want you to do today? Maybe you need a shift on the way you see yourself, the way you see life. Maybe he wants you to become more emboldened to believe that you have treasure, real treasure, Christ in you to offer somebody, and he wants you to become more motivated to find ways to share that treasure. I don't know. I'm not you. What did God want you to know? What might God want you to do? Let's pray. Father, let us not waste this moment, but may the energy of your spirit continue working in us that we will learn what you wanted us to learn today. We'll take it to heart, and we will do what you want us to do, and all eternity will be different because of it. We pray in Christ's name.